and welcome to the Hack Your Mindset podcast with me, Jenny Winterleach, the Mindset Hacker. So wherever you are today and whatever it is you're doing while you're listening to this, settle in and enjoy the ride. Hi everybody and welcome to another episode of the Flying Changes show. I'm Jenny Winterleach and I'm thrilled today to be uh, to be joined by, if I could get my words out today that would be good, to be joined by Bex Hayward. Hi Bex. Hi. Nice to um, be here. Thank you for coming and joining us today. Now, you have got a fabulous story and a fabulous product that you're going to be telling us about. Um, but just tell us a little quick bit about yourself. Okay. So um, I actually trained as a model maker and artist originally. And um, my background has really been in graphic design. Uh, so I did that for quite a few years. And um a couple of years ago, I've, I've always ridden. Um, I used to do a lot of sports stuff as well, triathlon and things. Um, I've always had quite muscular calves and been a muscular build. And a couple of years ago, I just got to the point I couldn't find riding boots that would fit me. So uh, I got really quite annoyed about it and uh, slogged around badminton with money in my hand, ready to go and buy some boots. Couldn't find a single stand in the whole place that had anything to fit me. Um, I'm about a size 16, 14, 16. Um, I just couldn't find anything. So I thought somebody needs to do something about it and maybe that person should be me. Um, And how hard can it be? Quite hard. But yeah, kind of decided to give it a go and see if I could start a business up, really. Awesome. And I do love that question that so many of us entrepreneurs have is like, there's a problem here. There's no solution out there right now. I'm going to create that. How hard can it be? <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. In the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. <laughs> so tell us then a little bit about, about your company and, and what it was that, that you've set up. Okay, so um, I called the company the Wide Boot Company um, because it sort of does what it says on the tin, really. Uh, basically, it's designing riding boots that fit a more muscular calf. Um, and also there's a slight difference between myself and other brands that cater to larger calves because I found a big problem when I did my feedback was that a lot of people said the ankles were very, very big on some of the larger size boots, which meant they collapsed down. You get horrible ridges into the back of your ankle when you're riding. Um, so actually, my design is completely different. It's got a very slim line ankle, which prevents the boot from dropping too much, but also caters for the larger calf higher up the leg. So it's quite a sort of unique design. So yeah, started off with a field boot and have added quite significantly to the range over time. So, 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 I mean, that makes it sound like, oh, yeah, you know, I just decided to design a boot that had some less of the difficulties that I found I had. So I decided to put it to market. Was it that easy? No. (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, I I, um, did a lot of research. So I started off with doing a lot of questionnaires on riding um, sort of Facebook pages and things for sort of slightly curvier riders asked people you know what what brands they buy at the moment what problems they sort of find with buying boots from brands what what they found frustrating about going to their local tap shop and trying on things and really what they would have in an ideal world that you know if they could have any boots what what would they want as features of it so I started off with 
that questionnaire which had really really good uh, responses and then I took that information I collated it all and worked out a very unique sizing chart based on those results and then um, I started looking for suppliers which is obviously the most difficult part of running a business like this you really really need to get a decent supplier on board who's going to do a good job for you and be reliable so um you know, as, as with most companies trying to find UK suppliers for doing small quantities of a very unique product in different calf sizes and heights and things, it's, it's, nobody wanted to touch it in the UK, unfortunately. Um, so as with most other large companies, I've had to um, approach Asian uh, and the Far East for production. And I'm very lucky that I've uh, found an excellent supplier who's based in India and they do all of my um, patterns for me and I I design the patterns. Um, I, I'm very good with Photoshop and things like that because of my graphic design background. So I make very, very accurate mock-ups in Photoshop, um, which I send to them and then they make those patterns into a reality and send me a sample and then we take it from there. So yeah it's quite um, an involved process but it's it's worked out really well and I'm, I'm i tried two different suppliers um one just sent me absolute rubbish i really wasn't happy with the result at all um but the supplier that i now use for everything is has been brilliant you know they're very very helpful and you know i'm really happy to have found them they've they've really helped me make the business what it is really so mm. And that's so important, isn't it? I mean, we all talk about team and support people around you and things. But when you're in a business, you know, most people think it's about you designing it and having it and then selling it and the marketing side. But actually, the, your team, your suppliers and those people are input, like crucial, really, a part of your team, aren't they? Because they are they're the ones providing you with the goods. Yeah, and you know, we've had teething issues. I think it's unrealistic to think as a new business, especially when you're making something that is so bespoke in sizing, um, you know, there, there's always going to be teething problems in the first couple of batches, you know, things that you decide you need to upgrade or change slightly. Um, so, you know, over, over the last a few batches that we've done there have been some changes um but you know my supplier is great and is always very happy to listen to the feedback and you know they, they really pride themselves on offering a quality product and actually get very upset if anything does go wrong so um you know i'm really lucky that they take it so seriously um because the other supplier that i tried with the samples initially I, they just couldn't have cared less when I said well you know you've sent me boots that are made in pleather not real leather I you know they needed to be real leather and you've sent me plastic mm. you know and there were so many things that were wrong with them and they just they weren't interested really and I thought well you know you can't work with a supplier like that especially first off when they're trying to impress you they can't yeah. even be bothered to get it right you know the first time yeah. so uh, yeah you know okay. it's, it's difficult so clearly suppliers is like one of your key things. I mean, you've got to get that right, haven't you? That is your product, isn't it? What other challenges do you think there were in starting up the business? Because how long have you been going now? Um, so, yeah, pretty much uh, two years now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because I'm just off to camp with my horse shortly. And mm -hmm. my first samples actually arrived 
two years ago when I was at camp, my friend very kindly went and picked them up and because I was so excited to see them and obviously get mm. some feedback from my friends at camp as well. Yeah. So um so yeah that was two years ago in, in a in a week or so that the samples arrived. Obviously I'd done the research and the designing for a couple of months before that. Yeah. Um so yeah and that, and then really the company officially launched at the beta trade show in January 2020 yep. which went fantastically for me and I had so much good feedback um, I won an award there for the um, best innovative design so it went really well and I had lots of people lined up wanting to place orders for their retail shops and then Covid lockdown came in and it just completely flattened everything from that point on really unfortunately so yeah it's it really i kind of launched just as covid you know came along and caused issues <laughs> so would you so say that that was probably one of your biggest challenges that you had to overcome then or have there been others no that has really been the absolute killer um you know it just uh, caused so many problems and as a new business nobody knew who i was so i had people that had paid me deposits for things i had um individual customers that had placed pre-orders on my website for items that you know I, I ordered in late January early February and they should have been with me a couple of months after that and suddenly everywhere in the world went into lockdown nothing could be produced in the workshop because the workshop had to be totally shut um, and even when they were allowed to reopen finally there were problems getting materials the tanneries were shut um, they were only allowed to work certain hours they were only allowed certain amounts of staff because of social distancing um, and my supplier is is um, they're a very ethical factory and they do pay their you know workshop staff a good wage and you know they, they follow the rules appropriately so you know we were just stuck in this horrible position where I just didn't know when things were going to be coming um, and then after that we then had all the issues once we'd finally got the stock made trying to get it to the UK because the sea freight had just totally you know everything was all over the place around the world with sea freight and container problems um, all due to Covid really um, and a massive backlog and massively rising prices for freight as well which has mm. just been an ongoing battle ever since I worked out my pricing, unfortunately, because obviously I priced up based on sea freight and based on a fairly quick delivery by sea freight um, as it goes. And now it's just not viable to use that route at all. So it's really, you know, there's been spanners in the works <laughs> um, the whole way along, really, which so I'm still trying to get over now so. absolutely and no doubt there will be more as you go it's just I think you were hit with the entire toolkit in one go rather than just a few spanners in the works as you went yeah. along weren't you oh yeah um, I think the toolkit probably fell out of the sky and yeah <laughs> so what is it that's kept you going what is your why what is your why that meant that you didn't just go oh do you know what this is quite hard work I, I won't worry about it I haven't really started yet I'll just sack it off now yeah, I mean, there's nothing like the joy when a sample turns up and you open the box and you think, oh, you know, it is exactly how I had it in my head. And you try it on and wear it and ride in it a few times and you think, 
you know, this is this is perfect. This is exactly what I had in mind. Uh, and then you show it to your followers on your pages and they get excited because they've never had the opportunity to buy something like that before. So, you know, it's, it's a really positive sort of situation to be able to bring that to other riders that have been so frustrated themselves. And then also uh, the feedback that I get from my customers you know, because two years into the business, I, I hardly pay myself a wage from it still because of all the issues we had over lockdown. Um, and so for me, it's, it's at the moment, it's really not a financial thing. Um, you know, it, I can see it will be in the future, but at the moment, um, I'm effectively working for nothing. But the feedback from the customers that are so happy with the products is really what keeps me going on the mission. Um, and, you know, I'm going to keep going with it because... I know a lot of my customers now would be sad that if I did just shut up shop and not carry on, you know, they, they really love the products. So, mm. And that's the really cool thing when you're something that's totally unique mm. is that you get real fans. Don't you? you get people that just absolutely love what you do. And there is no one else that does what you do the way that you do it. You know, whether there is or not is relevant. That's what they feel, isn't it? And what's that like for you to have that kind of feedback? Yeah, I mean, it, it can make or break a week for me you know i mean like i say there's been so many issues with the production and stuff um it, it can be really depressing a lot of the time um but then when that email or message drops into your messenger box and someone's like oh, my boots arrived i cr- oh i'm not sure if we've lost your audio Oh, I can't hear. Oh, you're back. You're back. Sorry, I don't sorry. know where your audio went. I think somebody tried to call me, so it's that. Ah, okay. Sorry. So we missed we missed that bit. Then you were merrily chatting away. I could see. I could hear you. Um, yeah. So just just repeat that bit again. <laughs> um, sorry, I can't remember. I've t- totally gone off the boil with that now. Um, That's you were talking about. Oh, sorry. Yes. So when you so when you get those messages in your inbox that come in and somebody, you know, they they literally say, "Oh, I I cried when I." zipped them up and they actually fitted um it's, it's really quite an emotional thing for a lot of my customers because they've had some really horrible experiences some of them going into shops and trying on every single option and nothing fitting um and some of my customers are actually only about a size 10 or 12 and you know they still can't get boots to fit them because they're muscular in the leg or whatever um it, it can be really quite um you know, a, a horrible experience for them. So when you get those emails into your inbox saying how much you've made somebody's day, week, year, they're just so happy to have those boots. Um, that's that's what it's all about for me, really. I just really want to help people like myself to, you know, have something nice to wear because nobody wants to go to a horse show and have to wear a certain set of kit um, and then stick out like a sore thumb because you've got boots that don't suit properly or you're having to ride in chaps because you have got no other option um you know so it does actually mean a lot to people when they've put all that work in with their horse to get to somewhere and then they can't actually get the kit and they don't want to be forking out you know 500 pounds plus for bespoke you know made to measure boots I, i just wanted to bring something to the market that was achievable for the average rider um you know in a price range that that the average everyday rider could could you know feasibly afford so i hope i've done that <laughs> well we should see it's early days isn't it i'm sure there's an awful lot of customers out there that haven't even heard that you're doing it yet and so what would you say so it's it's lovely hearing 
that this isn't just a product, is it? This isn't about, I just want to flog a product and, and make some money. There's so much more to this. This is about how people feel. This is about making them feel a part of something just because their calves are bigger than other people, you know, or maybe they're, they're a, um, I didn't actually say the word plus size earlier on when we were chatting, but you said, I hate the word plus size. So it's, yeah. there's more to it than this. Tell us a little bit about what that more to it is then. Go a bit deeper into, you know, what really drives you to help these people? Um, yeah, I think as a, as a slightly larger rider, uh, you know, I've been fat shamed in the past. Um, it's not, it's just such a horrible thing to be on the receiving end of. And, um, you know, just, just to be able to help some of these, you know, it's mostly ladies that buy my boots, um, that some of them have got real body issues um, because of the way the industry is set up. Uh, and also the, the sizing in, in the main brands is just so non-inclusive that it's, um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of my customers come to me almost as a last resort. Uh, and, it, and for me, you know, it does run quite deep because it is a very sort of horrible experience when you order things online and, and you know, you think, oh, well, you know, it says it's a size 16. It should, it should go on easily. And then you try and pull britches up or whatever and they uh, are nowhere near fitting uh, and I think there are a lot of big problems with uh, sort of standardizing of sizing across brands uh, a lot of some well a lot of the bigger brands call call things an XXL uh, and it might only be a size 14 well to me a size 14 isn't an XXL that's actually lower than the UK average uh, size so you know, to, to be able to sort of bring products to people that have struggled with those kind of battles and totally give up going to their local tap shop or, you know, buying from trade stands when they go out and about because nothing will fit them. Uh, that's really, you know, for me, the, the main part of the business and why I started it. Yeah, and we just had a great comment come through there from Charlotte that says, not being able to find boots that fit my calves plagued most of my riding life. Even when I was a size eight, it was a struggle to find them. So when I get back in the saddle, I'll know where I'll be going to pick up a smart pair of boots that will actually fit. Thanks, Bex. And, you know, so I don't know, Charlotte, I'd probably never even heard of you and your company until until this. So, you know, getting the word out there and, and telling people that you're doing something that's really important to you and important to the industry. I'm going to I'm going to raise the question then now about your thoughts around riders and weights, particularly there's a lot of talk about it in the show ring and things like that. What's your thoughts on this? Because obviously you're going to get flack. You are putting boots out for potentially larger riders, although actually they did like, you know, Beck, um, Charlotte just said she was a size eight and she just had, you know, like riders calves. So this can absolutely be an issue. You don't even have to be, you know, a larger rider. You've just got calves. But what's your thoughts on, you know, the whole kind of fat shaming, like you said, and all this stuff, you know, when there is the balance of the welfare of the horse to consider as well? It's, a, it's an ethical one, this, isn't it? Yeah. And, you know, absolutely. I think everybody should be riding a horse that's an appropriate size for them. But I think what people forget is that a lot of people that own horses don't necessarily even ride them. You know, some of them want boots for the yard. Some of them drive. Some of them you know, show in hand and they still need clothing and footwear to be able to do that. Um, and I think that's really 
you know, <laughs> one aspect of it. Why should those people be entirely excluded from buying clothing that helps them to fit in? Um, you know, everyone wants to join in with, uh, you know, the general look. We all want to fit in, don't we? Um, and also, I've got ladies that, you know, they might be a size 20 or 22, but they are riding a 19-hand heavyweight draft, you know, and actually that they're more that that horse is more than capable of carrying them and and some but you know they they need boots to be able to ride their horse so you know it's just really a case of people being aware of the weight limits and what what's fair on their horse and what isn't um but you know every, we've all got to be mindful of it of course i'm not saying everybody should go and get on the you know a tiny pony if you're a size 20 obviously shouldn't um but yeah you know it, it's one of those very sort of toxic um things that comes up a lot um you know <laughs> the riding industry is a pretty tough place if you are not a size 12 or less you mm. know slender teenager shape you know that unfortunately that's what most of the brands cater for but at some mm. point maybe those skinny teenagers are going to end up having kids putting weight on or maybe having an illness and taking drugs that make them put weight on well you know do they have to sell all their horses just because they can't get kit to <laughs> do things with them or around them or showing them in hand or whatever no i don't think that's fair so you know yeah. it's people like myself that are trying to help those people that don't have any other you know they, they don't have anywhere else to go really so yeah and I think, you know, your, your eyes wide open into this, that you know you're going to get, this discussion is going to come up again and again because of what, you know, the the industry that you're in. Um, how are you kind of prepped and ready to deal with this? Because clearly you're a very resilient lady, very intelligent lady. You know, you're doing something you're really passionate about. You're looking at all dynamics of it. How are you prepped and ready to deal with the fact that there probably will be flack coming just because of the nature of, of what it is? Um, I'm quite used to it, to be honest. <laughs> um, I've always been muscular. So um, when I was in my uh, late 20s, I actually trained as a personal trainer. And I used to do a lot of triathlon. Uh, and uh, I was ladies captain for my local triathlon team at the time. And uh, I, I used to get comments from some of the guys in the club because I wasn't as slim you know it's just not my body shape I'm not a natural runner I don't have that physique um, and I had a trainer at my personal training qualification course that I did and he you know it was really interesting learning about body types and what naturally genetically you know some people fit uh, one one shape and some people fit another shape and I am a particular shape called an ectomorph and as my personal training coach said your natural physique is for weightlifting shot put you know sort of weight carrying activities that's your natural build that's what you're good at you're not you're not ever going to be an athletic runner because you can't change your natural genetic shape um so you know I've always been aware of that and I did a half Ironman you know it's not like I was lazy and sat around eating and 
you know, but I still never was below a size 12 and I was still a relatively big weight because I'm just a, a muscular person. And there are many, many other people like me that ride bikes or swim or have done sports from a young age that build up muscle. And, you know, obviously riding builds up muscle uh, and muscle does weigh. So, you know, let's look at rugby players. They're not, they're not fat, but they're very heavy because they carry a lot of muscle. So if you're one of those people that falls into that genetic body shape um you know it's all very well people saying oh you should diet or this or that but actually sometimes it's not as easy as that (laughs) and I think it's fabulous that you've got that background in sports in you know um in in health and fitness that you understand bodies and that you understand riders and you really get that because I think that's going to be so useful for you going forward as I don't want to use the word ammunition, that sounds like you're fighting a fight, but, you know, that will help you to answer it just so eloquently like you did there, you know, it's it because that's just, that's what people need to hear, that's what people need to understand, and I think it's so heartwarming for people, because I, I have friends that are in exactly the same situation, they are muscular, they, they've got thighs, they've got calves, you know, they want to ride horses, they're not skinny and thin, um, but actually they're healthy. They are really healthy. They are perfectly capable of doing what they want to do. They do sports. They ride. And actually, because of their sports is why they can't find the kit. Not, you know, not they don't need to lose weight. That's not the point. And I think hearing you say that is so good. And I hope this gets shared around for people to hear and listen, because weight is not about health. You can have uh, skinny people who are very unhealthy as well, can't you? It works the other way, too. It's just in our okay. industry, it's easier for them to find kit that fits. <laughs> Although you say that, but I know some very skinny people who have problems with it because they have the opposite issue. But yeah, I've been asked a lot about that as well. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and that yeah. is on the cards for the future. Super. So you're going to have the just the I don't even want to call it normal because there's no normal. Maybe it's average. Maybe it's average size stuff is perhaps catered for, but mm-hmm. not the 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 things that fall outside of that average range. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I have a relative who works in in one of the main big brands, actually, who um, gave me some advice before I started up and actually told me, you're mad. <laughs> um, but, you know, he was under the impression that, well, not gave, well, gave me the impression that they don't want to cater with those difficult sizes either end because it's not their market. And for them, I get it. You know, they're, they're selling hundreds and thousands of pairs of boots to people that fit in you know the the regular calf sizes um if for them probably the amount that i sell isn't of interest to them and they can't be you know financially bothered to cater for those people but you know that leaves a section of the market that don't get catered for at all um so that's really kind of it almost was a bit of like you know uh, fire waving at me to make me think well I'm going to do it then you know I prove everybody wrong because I'm quite stubborn yeah and I Uh, think that's brilliant though because what he basically said to you is there's a market here it's just we're not going to fill it we don't want to here it's open it's not going to well you know I mean you say it's it's not going to make you millions but there if there are enough people out there that want it and you're producing a good product then why not then why not you know because He's clearly said there's a market for it. We just don't want to do it. Great. That's where the entrepreneur comes in, isn't it? Yeah. You know, you know, and there is there is the whole body image thing. I think a lot of um, these sort of um, kind of 
brands that people collect the different colors of and you know they actually don't want larger people in their marketing it just seems like they are only interested in having that sort of very stereotypical shape for their marketing stuff that's fine you know if that's what they want to cater for it's a shame uh, that they don't they don't feel the need to cater for either end of the spectrum either side of that um you know yes it leaves it leaves uh, those people out unfortunately um but yeah there's other companies like myself that are starting up and trying to sort of you know cater for those people that are missed out And so on that note, then talking about assumptions and, you know, averages, norms, regulars, whatever all of that stuff means. What is something that people wrongly assume about you all the time that actually is not the case? Um, Gosh, that's a bit of a difficult one. Um, Yeah, I think, to be honest, I'm so busy and so like stressed out with trying to. do everything i've got four horses as well so um my life is very hectic um i actually don't really um take too much notice of what people think of me (laughs) i know that sounds bad you know obviously yes when you get a fat shaming message that's obviously does affect you um but yeah i i actually i think where i am a bit stubborn i've always been a little bit outside of the niche well outside of the sort of um trends you know I was never in the cool gang at school I've always been in my own little separate cool gang of my own with a few other people um you know I used to be into skateboarding when I was a teenager which wasn't really very cool where I went to school but you know that was what I liked um so for that reason I think I, I just kind of tune out anybody that tries to send negative stuff my way and um just crack on and yeah. <laughs> do my thing. And if people people like it and want to get on board, then great. But if they don't, then it's no skin off my nose, really. Yeah. Do you know, that's such a common trait in entrepreneurs and people that are doing something a bit different and people that have found a niche that's a niche is, is so often they didn't really fit in with the cool gang at school or they had lots of different groups of friends. They're a bit of a nomad or because what happens when you're like that is you build that resilience up to just kind of go, well, I'm okay. You know, like it's obviously it's nice to have friends and people around you, of course, but you know, you're all right. You kind of work your own way out. You you can cope with people not agreeing with you because you, you, you didn't grow up in that kind of strong group that if they shunned you, it'd be a problem because you were just like, meh. And that's a really, really common in loads of entrepreneurs and people like yourself that are trying to do something different for other people that have probably been exactly the same situations as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, you know, I travelled a lot um, from a young age. So I, I went and um, went out to Argentina to play polo when I was in my, um, just after I finished my degree, um, and I went and worked as a polo groom in New Zealand, um, and just literally got on a plane to start a job with somebody I didn't know on the other side of the world. Um, why not, you know? <laughs> You're only young once and uh, it was the time to do it. And yeah, I've always been quite res- resilient in terms of um, just moving around, settling in different places. And like you say, um, having kind of like a slightly nomadic friend group that I've got friends all over the place. I mean, none of my best friends are local to me, I see them once or twice a year if I'm lucky some live abroad um you know but that's fine I'm, I'm happy with that I 
you know, <laughs> I'm not a social butterfly. I, I have, you know, some a handful of very, very good friends that I see regularly and I'm happy with that. Yeah. Um, and those are my friends that have been supportive in the down times of the business, you know, when I've been like, oh, you know, crying because stuff is stuck in transit on the other side of the world. And uh, I mean, like before Christmas in 2020, I, I had stuff that was meant to have been delivered and people were wanting it for Christmas presents and the amount of pressure as one person having people constantly emailing you, when's it going to be? And you can't give them the answers, you know, there was mm. just no way to be able to say to people, I can guarantee it's going to be here because I couldn't. Well, as mm. it happened, things turned up literally five, six days before Christmas. So I had a horrible <laughs> couple of days, literally just packing, wrapping, labeling stuff. Um, my dad came and helped me, bless him. He's eighty too um you know it was just like an all hands on board try and sort the situation out and so much of the business has been like that because of the issues with covid and so yeah you know <laughs> you just do what you got to do and keep going that's keep going yeah <laughs> and so in order to dig deep keep going and I mean we're talking at the beginning here like you know every business has teething problems when it starts up but there aren't many businesses that have teething problems and covid and Brexit and all the other things going on at the same time, which affect you in so many different ways. So what what's your really big why then? So we know why you do it for other people and, you know, why it's important for you to help people that haven't got the opportunity to have the lovely things and stuff. But it's it's got to be bigger than that for you to have gone through what you've gone through and still kept going and not sacked it off at the very beginning when it's the easiest time to do it. What's mm. your real mission? What's, what's it really all about for you? Um, because I just see such potential in the business, you know, uh, actually for all the teething problems and, you know, I had stock that turned up that wasn't made correctly, which was due to the limited staffing that they were allowed in and people having to cross work on different aspects of the boot making that they might not normally do that part of the job and you know just things turned up that weren't great um it's caused me massive financial issues um but i see that actually the products that do work and i have sort kept selling there is a need for it people want it um and yeah you know if i can get over all these financial issues that were caused by covid i can i've got a good business yeah and I think it is. It's a very solid, solid business. And no doubt you've got lots of thoughts and ideas and ways to grow it and things to do and things going forward as well. So yeah. we know a little bit about you, what made you you, what drives you, what the business is about, how you overcome challenge. There is always in people's lives, particularly entrepreneurs, people or situations that have inspired you. So who would you say, you know, if there's a particular person or type of people or a situation or something that's really inspired you to keep going, who would, who would you say that is? Hmm, that is a tricky question. Um, no, actually, I think one of the people that uh, really inspires me a lot is actually my brand ambassador. Um, so I've got a lady called Rachel who goes under the name Ray the Goth on YouTube and um, she does some absolutely amazing vlogs um yeah she's she's a slightly larger rider she rides a cob who's more than capable of carrying her um and honestly the flack she gets from some people is just horrendous um online bullying 
absolutely awful um but you know again she gets messages from people that she's inspired and have you know that she does brilliant product reviews um shows people what the products look like on a larger body because that's half the problem that you can maybe look in a catalogue and, and say, oh, well, they do it in an XXL or whatever, and it might fit me, but they don't ever have pictures or videos of people actually wearing them. So she's she puts herself out there. And, um, you know, despite some of the horrible comments she gets, she keeps going, uh, keeps promoting um, herself and, you know, the products that she likes. And, uh, you know, she, she's just a really lovely girl as well. So yeah so yeah she's very inspirational i would say awesome yeah i've seen and followed her and thought god i think it's incredible that she is clearly going to come across so much horrible stuff out there and she keeps going and i think we need people like that out there that just i call it teflon up like she's not doing anything to harm anyone she's not harming her horse her horse is very well cared for very well kept capable like you say yeah. Yeah. So so she's not if she if you're harming anyone or anything, then then fair enough. You know, maybe maybe you need to know about that. But she's not. And so she's got the Teflon coating on. She's got the Well, do you know what you can say that that's probably your issue and not mine. Yeah. And, and that ability to just keep going, keep doing what she's doing and keep putting it out there publicly. I think a lot of people need to see that a lot of the time that actually it that resilience is often behind the scenes, you know, people tick away and they go and they're resilient behind the scenes but to have someone so overtly resilient in front of everyone is a real inspiration I think to a lot of people yeah and it's one of the things I find very difficult because she's an absolutely brilliant brand ambassador and I don't think I'm ever going to find anyone else as good as her because the content she puts out is just so professional uh you know it's all edited well it's entertaining um and, you know, there's not a lot of people that want to put themselves out there in the public domain because of the flack they get. Um, and, you know, yes, we've all seen pictures of people on horses they really shouldn't be on. Um, you know, I think that's probably up for those people's vets, in, um, instructors, you know, actual friends in real life to maybe say to them, you know, maybe, maybe not quite right this combination, um, not someone sat in their bedroom that lives you know a thousand miles away from them that's not that person's place and I'm a very big believer in if you can't say anything nice don't say anything at all um <laughs> so yeah you know I think if someone's vet and um instructor is happy that's that's good enough for me <laughs> I think that's fair to say if they're the experts in it listen to the experts I think you know, one of the phrases that I love is if you're not in the arena getting your ass kicked, then your opinion doesn't matter to me. You know, it's like unless you're an expert in it, then, you know, why why are you giving that opinion? Because that's that's your opinion. You're perfectly entitled to it. But you know what? You do not need to stick it in a DM to someone or plaster it somewhere because, you, you know, they obviously know something that you don't. <laughs> yeah, and it's sad, actually, you know, because... We all really love our horses and put so much time and money and effort into them. Um, and it's actually really sad when you feel like you can't even post a picture up of a success that you've had. You know, maybe you've gone and, you know, done well at a competition or something. But if you put it on a generic Facebook riding page, people put sad faces on it. And then you, it just, you know, you end up not bothering sharing those things because it, it just drags you down. So you think, well, 
okay you, uh, you know there's certain places that you do share things with share things or you know I, I put things on my personal page that I do with my horses and obviously my friends are supportive and know that I'm a, a relatively decent rider and my horses are well cared for and you know everyone's happy <laughs> Yeah, and you know that's exactly why I started the Eden community, the Equine Development Empowerment Network community online, because it's a place where people choose to come to be a part of it, and they are truly supportive because you know it's managed in case they're not. Although I've never had anyone causing any problems, but you know if they did, it, then I'd have a, a chat with them about why that might be the case or anything, you know. And I think having a space where you can go and just be yourself and you can put the good and the bad. I don't think it matters what size of rider you are, what type of rider you are, what discipline, what level. Uh, you know, I'm umming and ahhing at the moment about whether I put a video up from my competition at the weekend that was just, it was lovely, but it, we absolutely stuffed one of the obstacles completely in the middle. And it's like, do I put that up or do I edit it out? And it's, you know, even then it's it's difficult to decide what to do. And And I think it doesn't, you know, that's without the flack of people saying something that you know some people are going to say to you regardless of what you put out there. And I think having a community in a space where you can share that is really important. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, we all think twice, don't we, before posting anything up because, you know, regardless of whether you're a slightly larger person or not, um, people are so critical in the horse world. You know, oh, she's riding it on too short a rein. Oh, it's it's behind the vertical. Oh, it's above the bit. You know, oh, there's all the, we've all been there. <laughs> there's always an expert out there who's willing to tell you what you're doing wrong um and it's it's sad really that it it is in some ways quite um a toxic community um but you know then again some of my best friends are i've met through my horses you know in fact most of my best friends i've met through my horses so <laughs> there's always pluses and negatives but i you know yeah i i do carefully think about what i post up especially on my business page of me riding um, because you are yeah you are a target really <laughs> yeah absolutely I mean you know it happens doesn't it look at the Olympics the flack people are giving people at the Olympics you think oh for goodness sake you know you have no idea what it's like to be a rider at that level how can you possibly comment from your sofa when you might jump around 80 centimeter you know eventing course or something like you, <laughs> you can't that's quite impressive to me <laughs> well, well and you know there is isn't there there is it's it's it horses for courses and people Okay, so let's let's bring this back around to your your business again, and and you know yourself as an entrepreneur and everything you do. If if someone could have given you a lesson up front from the last two years and said, "This is what's going to happen to you. Um, this is how you're going to deal with it," just to give you a heads up, what would you have loved to have known before you started? Um, I think one of the most frustrating parts of the business is um, people ask you to make things. So quite often I'll get lots of people saying, oh, I can't find half chaps anywhere. Um, so you make half chaps and you spend what might have been your wage on getting products in because people say they want them. And then when you launch them, nobody wants to buy them. <laughs> Um, so that would probably be my main thing um, if I could have had a crystal ball to look into the future to see what products sell well and what products don't sell well because obviously I wouldn't have wasted my money on buying stock if I didn't think it was going to sell um, and I would have invested more of my money into the things that I know do work really well 
so yeah that would have been my main thing I would have liked to have known and I think yeah that that is so frustrating isn't it when you're running a business where people say can we have this can we have this can we have this I know loads of people said and then you go okay yeah here it is and then there's tumbleweed what what do you think it is that means yeah exactly yeah and you're waiting for the sales you're waiting for them because you're like all these people have told me they want them why do you think that is what do you think it is that means that people say they want something and then then don't buy it um i think people don't understand the costs involved in making sort of slightly more um well less than average sizing so that's one big issue uh and also i think a lot of customers um don't because they haven't been to look at their local tax shop or whatever for so long i think they actually are not really up to date with how much things cost now um you know maybe they're stuck in like prices from five ten years ago and they're just not realistic especially with all the shipping costs and issues now um you know especially the last year or so the pressure that all retailers have faced with brexit and everything it's just put prices up there's no avoiding it you know the shipping is the main big problem um and and that cost does have to be passed on somewhere and personally i've been absorbing quite a lot of that cost hoping that sea freight will get back to normal um but you know at the moment i'm having to air freight everything because sea freight is just not viable i can't wait five months for my stock to get here um and the cost of sea freight is probably not much less than air freight now anyway so for the time saved to get it here quickly it's just a a no-brainer um but yeah you know I, i just think quite a lot of people are just not realistic about the manufacturing costs and that is a problem um, and, and also, I think there's a real snobbery involved in brand names. So they'll happily spend £150 on a saddle pad and ears from a brand that, you know, they think is the one to follow. Um, but they won't spend that on a pair of boots for themselves or they think that's very expensive. So No, I think you're right. But I think once you've built that brand and you get going, people then understand the value that you give. You've got the testimonials. People realise you're unique. They realise it's good quality. I think that's a difficult thing to start off with, isn't it? That people Mm -hmm. don't know what the quality is going to be like. And it takes some time for people to have it over a period of time and go, they're still going. They're brilliant. I really love them Um, for that to then be the case, which, of course, is fun for you guys as manufacturers because, you know, you want to be selling boots, but you also want them to be good quality. So you don't want them to deliberately break after a few years. But we all know obsolescence is built into certain items um, in life, particularly these things. <laughs> so, yeah. OK, let's have a look then as uh, uh, a little future question. Where do you see yourself in five years time? Um, so at the moment, I'm sort of cutting down the amount of products I'm offering so that I can focus on the ones that I know are are selling well. Um, I've just got a two-tone brown boot that I'm launching um, that will be available to pre-order soon. So I just want to be able to offer more sort of uh, different colour ranges, maybe limited editions and special editions, uh, just uh, because people like to maybe have different colours to wear with different outfits and you know have a choice because so many of my customers have had no choice or if they're lucky they might have been able to find a black field boot that fits them and that's about 
as good as it gets. Um, you know, and we've all seen lovely dressage boots with mock croc tops and things. And um, I'm sure my customers would love to be involved in things like that as well. So yeah, that's where I would like to take the business and be able to get, you know, some different designs out for the riding boots and uh, different formats of them really so that people can treat themselves every couple of years to an upgraded pair of something a bit different awesome i love that okay so if you could sum up your business and what you do in four sentences what what it'll give you a moment there to have a quick think about four sentences give me a heads up in this one <laughs> yeah yeah i should have given you that one yeah four sentences it's not four words you've got four sentences so if you could sum up your business in four sentences or like a short paragraph what would okay. it be so um bringing quality items to the market would be one of them um catering for a niche section of society who have been pretty much neglected before. Um, innovative design. Um, and I think the last one would be uh, keeping products comfortable and um, wearable. You know, that's probably the main one because I, I think we've all probably bought boots or shoes in the past that are so uncomfortable that yeah they look lovely but you don't actually end up wearing them because they give you blisters and you know that's definitely one of my main things for the business I really like my products to be comfortable and wearable um that's you know quite it's important as a horse rider and if, if you're out at your yard every day doing stuff you, you want to be doing it in comfort not staggering around with your circulation cut off or mm -hmm. blisters <laughs> Yeah, definitely. You know, and it's okay for the pros to have the rider boots that they only ride in because they literally hop on and off horses. That's what they do. But everyone else wanders around, does things, doesn't necessarily muck out in them, but even so, you know, or uh, you need to be in them. You know, a lot of people coach in their boots as well because then they can hop on and off and things like that. And actually, you're entirely right. It doesn't matter, doesn't matter why you want them. You want them to be comfortable. And even at a show, you don't want to have to keep taking your boots on and off all the time. I'm in my boots all day long when I'm at a show. I do a three phase three phase discipline and I don't want to have to keep whipping them on and off all day long because in the bits in between and wandering around I want them to be comfortable as well so it's really important really important yeah okay. and I, a lot of customers do say that they are the most comfortable boots they've ever had um yeah. it's a fine line you know a nice leather that's pliable um yeah. and molds quickly against obviously there's some of the dressage boots are very very thick hard leather and like you say you just literally put them on to ride in and not walk around um but that's not really practical for most of my customer base so yeah and they're know. probably not looking for a super hard dressage boot in that respect anyway you know necessarily no no and you know it's, it's obviously the price as well so it's yeah. just getting a fine balance between those things and offering a product that will last long enough that they're happy at the price but also you know i i can't I can't get a Petri quality boot for the price I sell them at. You know, that's just, <laughs> you know. Absolutely. But, you know, you, you never know. There might be there might be the option one day to go for a premium, premium luxury range when people go, we love these so much. Now we want, uh, we want a premium range. You never know. You never know. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> you never know where things are going to go down the line, do you? Cool. Yeah. Okay. So just to sum us up then, just tell us quickly, what's your, I'm going to do like some really quick fire questions. 
What's your best-selling product? The Atia Field Boot. Okay, and that's a field boot, so a riding boot with the lacing? Yeah, so it's got a stretch ankle lace and a full zip up the back with elasticated stretch panels along the back of the calf. But they're quite discreet, so when you look at them, they look like a just a plain field boot cool. from the front and side. Nice. Okay. What's your favourite product? Um, I do love those because they're named after my thoroughbred, um, who just had her first foal as well. So, um, yeah, so, yeah, they were very, my very first boot I launched. So, obviously, they've got a big place in my heart um, for that reason. Um, but other than that, I think the Pippin lace-up dressage boot is a really beautiful boot. Um, and if you're into your dressage, then they give that really nice look. Um that everybody everybody likes the sort of crisscross laces all the way up and um yeah and they're very comfortable as well so yeah cool okay if you could choose any color to do a boot in for yourself what would it be i do like my brown boots i have to say yeah brown is always a nice option doesn't always go with everything clothing wise but yeah it's quite traditional so cool and where's the funniest place you've ever worn a pair of your boots Ooh, mm, funniest place. I haven't really had that many opportunities to wear them out because of yeah. lockdown. <laughs> Fortunately, <laughs> so most of them came after lockdown happened. So, uh, yeah, I have got some great pictures. Um, I'm, I'm on a group called the Artful Farmers Wives, um, and they did a, was it, I think it was called Fabulous Frock Friday. So I have got some very funny pictures of me up at my field in a dress with a lovely sash waistband and in my Spanish suede boots um, with my horses. So yes, up doing jobs for the horses in a lovely posh frock. <laughs> awesome. I love that so much. So yes, That's, that's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And so finally then, if anyone wants to get hold of you, speak to you or better still go and have a look and buy your products, where do they, where do they go? Yeah, so the website is www.thewidebootcompany.com and I have a Facebook page of the same name and Instagram is The Wide Boot Co. Awesome. So I'm on all three of those. So yeah, drop me a message. I'm online pretty much 24-7, it feels like. So yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, Bose. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and hearing about your passion and everything that you've been through. And I'm sure... This will help a lot of people to hear about your products as well that, that need them, but also inspire others who are perhaps thinking there's maybe a niche that they want to go into, but they're a bit worried about, you know, what's going to happen or what people are going to think. And hopefully I think you've inspired, you've certainly inspired me to kind of keep going regardless, no matter what, even when you know the flack is coming, just kind of head into it ready. Um, mm -hmm. And and if you if your if your your why is big enough, then you'll you'll overcome those challenges together. Yeah. The customers make it worthwhile definitely the reactions that's that's really what it's all about yeah so. absolutely well thank you so so much it's lovely hearing from you take care and i'm sure you're going to get lots of people uh getting in touch soon hope so thanks for having me bye bye and I hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as I did. If you want to listen to more of them, then please do follow us in Apple, in Google and on Podbean. Hack Your Mindset with Jenny is the name of this podcast. So please do subscribe, follow us and we look forward to you listening in to our next one. Bye, everyone. Who got this? You got this? You know you